Hello, welcome to the Find Your Calm podcast. I'm Noelle C. Guevara, a pastor, educator, and writer learning to navigate faith and family and being a person in this chaotic life. Throughout the first season of the Find Your Calm podcast, we explored how you can find your calm by creating connection in the midst of chaos. I took the summer off, had grand ideas about the time I'd have to write, but summer is a big tease, and I don't know where the time went. But here I am, back for season two of the Find Your Calm podcast, and I'm excited and a little nervous about this next season because we're going to do a deep dive into some of the ways that life can be anxiety-inducing and what it looks like to find your calm in the midst of it all. Here's the truth. I've experienced a lot of chaos in my life, especially in the last several years. Like a passenger on a boat that tips until the horizon is lost, I found myself tossed by waves while the things that steadied me slipped out of view. So I don't know how to avoid chaos or how to prevent the anxiety that chaos inevitably causes, but I have had more than a little practice in finding my calm when life beckons anxiety instead. If you're looking for space to take a deep breath, steady yourself, and discern what you need to move forward, you're right where you belong. Listen in for a few simple tips to find your calm and take your next faithful steps forward. I come from a long line of people who pride themselves on self-reliance, on being strong, on getting back up when they've been knocked down. So naturally, I have a stubborn, independent streak. I'm quick to help and slow to recognize that I need help. I would also say that I pride myself to a fault about the way I process things rationally instead of emotionally. The people around me often say I'm a tough read, and I'm the polar opposite of the person who wears their heart on their sleeve. I'm guarded with a flair for keeping my emotions under control. I would say that I do not run anxious by nature, and I know a lot about people who are anxious by nature. I have people in my home who have a diagnosed anxiety disorder. I have always thought of anxiety as a feeling, always pictured it as something that manifests itself externally with worrying or big feelings or an inability to relax or be at ease or even physical symptoms like stomach aches. And while those are all symptoms of anxiety, the truth is that anxiety doesn't have to be in the driver's seat to play a role in our life. I'm learning that sometimes anxiety runs us, mm, runs me from the background. And what I mean by that is that for some of us, hand raised, anxiety is the thing in the background that we try to outrun or avoid, usually by controlling situations that could cause anxiety. Or maybe it's the thing we try to deny. We convince ourselves that we aren't anxious by either rationalizing our anxiety as normal or just by stubbornly determining it doesn't exist. Or maybe we try to, I don't know, like accommodate it. Anxiety can be a thing that we accommodate, namely in other people. So maybe I don't have an anxiety disorder, but if the people around me do, especially if those people have an undiagnosed anxiety disorder, then I learn to accommodate their anxiety. In effect, channeling my own energy to help them manage their anxiety. I'm going to let you in on a little trick. If you aren't sure how anxiety shows up in you, 
Ask the person in your home or your life who trends anxious. Anxious people are typically very intuitive. They are hyper attuned to their surroundings and the people closest to them. So they will call you out if you let them. They'll be able to tell you how you respond when you're anxious and to what degree you experience anxiety. I tried this with my nine-year-old recently and he pegged every member of our family with impressive precision. Honestly, his descriptors and just the language and expressions he used to describe the way anxiety plays out in our family blew my mind. I will not tell on the whole Guevara clan, but I will wrap myself out and say that Zion described me by saying that when I experience anxiety, I try to control everything. Shots fired. He is 100% correct. And I was shocked that he noticed, which is a testament to my tendency to outrun and deny anxiety's effect on my life. Given some of the circumstances I've had to navigate and am still navigating, Anxiety is just a natural human response. We should feel unease when our marriage is in crisis. We should experience worry when our child is suffering and there's no easy solution. We should be motivated by a desire to do something instead of just sit still when we're faced with big decisions that have life or death consequences. For me, rather than feel all of these things in big, overwhelming waves, I move to control whatever I can. I make the appointment, research the diagnosis, chart the positives and negatives of every option. These things help me avoid feeling anxious, but they are nonetheless anxious behaviors because responding by avoidance is still an anxious response. The truth is that no one in our house responds to anxiety in the same way, but anxiety exists in our home. Some days it's the boss of our house. And other days, we can sweep it under the rug, but it's always there. And we're learning to manage it in healthier ways, to find kinder ways to just let it be, like a neutral party, so we can find our calm even as anxiety pulls a chair up to the dinner table. I am not here to tell you how to eliminate anxiety, so, so sorry if that was your hope. But I am here to share some ways you can find your calm with anxiety in your midst, some next faithful steps towards managing anxiety in your home so anxiety doesn't manage you. It's worth noting that these steps are not in a certain order. They're simply faithful ways to move forward and you're free to take the step that is helpful for you and your family. So here's step one. Develop a robust emotional vocabulary. Normalize feelings in your home. Remember what I said about anxiety running you from the background? If you don't have the language to talk about feelings in your home, then anxiety will just exist as a shadow lurking in the corners. Here's a few simple places where you could get started. Little ones are most prone to showing off their big feelings. So invite them to pause and name what they're feeling. I notice you're yelling and making an angry face. Are you feeling frustrated? Scared? Embarrassed? Teenagers tend to show their feelings in different ways. They shut down, roll their eyes, sass off, or even burst into tears over something that seems trivial. If your teenager is acting irritable, try responding with compassion and an open invitation to share. That was an intense reaction. You must be having some intense feelings. What do you need? 
It's tough being a teenager, and I wonder if you're feeling overwhelmed or disrespected, or maybe something else. With grown-ups, we tend to be the least self-aware as we're rushing from one emergency to the next. We can model talking about our own feelings, but we do have to be mindful not to dump them on our kids. I am not quick to name my feelings, so it often comes in an apology. I really lost my temper there, and I'm sorry. I think I'm feeling overwhelmed by everything I have to do today, but that's my job to figure out. It was not okay for me to take it out on you. And I'm going to take a minute to calm down the next time I'm feeling overwhelmed. If your emotional vocabulary is a far cry from robust, I highly recommend the Wheel of Feelings and using it until you grow your vocabulary. You can Google Wheel of Feelings and the internet will bless you with many options. It basically takes a handful of basic words for feelings, mad, sad, happy, etc., and teases them out into more nuanced and precise words. I received one of those from my therapist years ago, and it's been a huge help as I've learned to tune into my own feelings. So here's step two, cultivate strong self-awareness. Notice anxiety in your body, behaviors, thought patterns. This is going to take practice. And again, I highly recommend inviting someone intuitive in your life to help. It's likely that your kids can assist in this department, even if they aren't highly anxious, because kids have to be attuned to their parents' emotions and behaviors. Give your kids the freedom to name when they see anxiety showing up in your body or your behavior. Make a practice of noticing when your body gets tense and how you respond. Pay attention to repetitive thoughts, especially ones that send unkind messages about yourself or about how others perceive you. If you aren't accustomed to practicing self-awareness, it might help you to fold it into your routine. Begin with a morning and an evening practice of closing your eyes, scanning your body for tension, your mind for racing or ruminating thoughts, and your emotions for indicators that something is unsettled. If you can begin with the morning and evening habit of self-reflection, then you'll likely become more self-aware throughout your day. Or you can return to this practice when you notice anxiety. Now here's step three. Empower each member of your family to manage their own anxiety. This does not mean they have to suck it up and handle it on their own. My kids know they can ask me for help, for example. Or my husband and I can talk about the ways our distribution of household chores is calling feelings of overwhelm. It does mean that one person is not responsible for another person's anxiety. I don't have to minimize my needs or feelings to prevent my husband from feeling anxious, for example. My son doesn't have to behave in a particular way to keep me from feeling activated. Should we treat each other with consideration and respect? Of course. But when one individual's consideration and respect of another's feelings or of their anxiety comes at the cost of their own well-being, then that is unhealthy. As an adult, I sit in the driver's seat and I manage my anxiety. I am empowered to ask for what I need, and I can often meet my own needs. Do my kids induce anxiety in me sometimes? Absolutely. But I'm the grown-up, and my anxiety is mine to manage, not theirs. Where I used to take some of their behavior personally, I'm now learning to differentiate their behavior from my response. So before, when a child would say no or get sassy when I gave them directions, 
I would internalize that as they're being disrespectful of me and it's appropriate for me to respond in anger. Now when a child responds to directions by refusing or speaking rudely, I can step back and recognize their behavior feels disrespectful. I'm going to manage my own emotions and then determine if their behavior needs some support or a corrective response or if it's just a me problem because sometimes it is a me problem. I may have modeled a sassy tone or maybe given a request that was exasperating and I have to take that into consideration when my child responds in kind. Kids have less power and need more support. I need to be more aware of how my behavior or decisions impact them. Am I setting too high of expectations and causing them to feel anxious about failing? Am I overscheduling and not meeting their need to recharge? So in that sense, as their parent, I need to set them up for success. But when my highly sensitive kids tend to react anxiously, I empower them to use the strategies they've learned to cope. It's my job to provide the space and the tools and their job to use them. I don't respond to their anxiety by fixing it for them. But what about when you have someone in your family who seems unable to manage their own anxiety? Whether that person is a child or an adult, go to step four, get outside support. I would actually recommend this step long before anxiety runs amok in your home or in a person in your home. But if you haven't yet heeded my persistent advice to normalize therapy and you're realizing that anxiety is an unmanageable force in your home, it's not too late to call in the pros. Outside support can include a range or options. In our family, some options we've explored or utilized include therapy, good old-fashioned meet-with-a-trained counselor, talk-about-your-feelings therapy. Depending on how anxiety is impacting individuals or relationships, you can opt for individual, couples, or family therapy. Another option is an evaluation or an assessment. There are a whole host of diagnosable conditions that have anxiety or something that looks like anxiety as a common symptom. Google and your own anxious brain can play, is it anxiety or is it ADHD, PTSD, ASD, bipolar, depression, and so on all day long. If you're wondering, just schedule the assessment. Find a qualified clinician who can not only identify what's going on, but also how to best support and treat symptoms. Another option is a support group or program. Our family has found common language and a wide net of support from our church's Celebrate Recovery program. A common misconception is that CR is for addicts or for addressing addictions. And while it certainly can address that symptom, it's really focused on identifying hurts and the habits and hangups they produce. CR or the landing for students or celebration for kids have helped our family work through things like anger, pride, anxiety, and codependency. This is a national ministry, and if you go to their website, you can check and see if there's a program near you. So these four steps, develop a robust emotional vocabulary, cultivate strong self-awareness, empower each member of your family to manage their own anxiety, and get outside support are neither a quick fix or a be-all, end-all response to anxiety in your home, but they are tools we picked up tried out, and found useful in our own family. Whether or not you see anxiety as a prevalent issue in your family, the reality is that life is stressful, and sometimes 
that stress is disruptive, causing anxiety to spike in your house. It might be a round of illness that works its way through the house over two weeks. Maybe it's a child hitting puberty and upsetting the apple cart of peaceful interactions. It might be a job loss that reorients your budget and routines. Maybe it's a diagnosis, a divorce, or a big move. All of these things are regular life experiences, but they are anxiety-inducing. And depending on how anxiety was expressed and addressed in your family of origin, you might not have healthy coping skills to pass on to your children. The good news is that coping skills can be learned and we can create a more healthy family response so our kids can thrive, even when anxiety is present in themselves or in the home. Before we end with the practice that I hope will help you find your calm, even in the midst of an anxious home, I would invite you to spend some time this week considering the ways your family responds to anxiety. Everybody feels anxiety, notices anxiety, and responds to others' anxiety. But we don't always stop and identify each person's response. We don't often pause and notice the way each person's response alleviates or exacerbates anxiety in the home. And don't stop there with your own mindfulness or observations. Open up a conversation with your family. It's okay if that conversation is awkward, if nothing is solved, if you don't have an agenda. The most powerful tool anxiety wields in disrupting your family is silence. When our home becomes strewn with eggshells and everyone holds their tongue, we are left to write our own stories in our heads about what is really happening. And grown-ups, your kids are almost certainly writing a story that leaves them carrying blame. So get talking. Narrate a better, more honest, more redemptive story. And now, a practice. A next faithful step towards finding your calm amidst the currents of anxiety, the ebb and flow in your family, and in your home. I'm going to use a modified form of the prayer of examine because I think this prayer is an incredible tool that invites the Holy Spirit to guide you through a self-examination. I'll give you prompts to move through this prayer practice, leaving pauses to create space for you to be guided by the Holy Spirit. Let's begin. Ask God to make his presence known to you in this moment. Place your hands, palms up, in a posture of release and receptivity. Spend a moment practicing gratitude. Thank God for one or two blessings big and small, that you received today. Look back on your day, asking God to review your day and in particular the ways that emotions were present as you interacted with or were simply in the presence of your family. If it is evening, you can begin with when you woke up. If not, pick a starting point in the last 24 hours. How did you feel when you woke up this morning? As you moved through your morning preparations and routines, how were your interactions with your family? Pass quickly over the moments where your emotions were calm, but pause and dwell on the interactions that left you feeling physically or emotionally activated. 
Did you sense the feelings of another and what feelings did that stir? Were there conversations that left you unsettled, that left another person unsettled? Was there an individual whose anxiety showed up more clearly and how did that ripple through your home? What ripples impacted you? Continue throughout your day, noticing interactions and emotions and ways that anxiety ebbed and flowed in your home and its impact in your body. Speak with God about the shifts and emotion that you notice throughout your day, about the strongest moments of anxious presence. How did you respond in ways that moved you closer to God, reflecting his peaceful presence to your family? Or did you respond in ways that withdrew from God, disrupting his peaceful presence in your home? Choose the strongest response of your day and speak to God about the way you responded both in that moment and continuing throughout the day. What impact did that response have on you, on others? Were you able to notice and name the emotions as you experienced them or were you unaware? Was your response a conscious choice or did your emotions overwhelm you and activate words, thoughts, or actions that seemed to just happen. Speak with God about this, thanking him for responses that were guided by his spirit and asking for forgiveness and healing for those responses that were not. Recognizing that our emotions are neutral and that anxiety is a response to our surroundings that we have limited control over, reflect on what emotions you desire to have tomorrow and how you'd like to respond when anxiety emerges in your home. Imagine yourself living out tomorrow in this posture or response. Ask God to grant you what you need to respond in this way. Do you need patience, resilience, self-awareness? Trust God to provide what you need and ask for help in noticing his provision.
are there any last words you would like to say to God? Close with a deep breath and an expression of gratitude for God's presence. I hope you found that practice to be useful, and I would encourage you to repeat it again from time to time. If you would like to incorporate the prayer of examine into your daily rhythms, I highly recommend the app Reimagining the Examine. There are so many resources on the examine or on contemplative prayer in general, but I enjoy using this app as part of my evening routine, and sometimes my kids will join along with me and we'll do it together. Thank you for joining us today for the first episode in season two of the Find Your Calm podcast. We hope you were able to connect with yourself to get your bearings, find your focus, and begin to enjoy or at least truly experience that life that is within and around you. Life is chaotic. We know this to be true. But even in the midst of chaos, you can find your calm and take your next faithful steps forward. As always, you can connect with me on Instagram as Noel C. Guevara. You can also find me at noelcguevara.com. If you found today's tips to be useful and want more, head to my website and sign up for my newsletter, which just launched this October. It is a fun way for me to share some practical things that are helping me find my calm right now. Could be fashion, could be spiritual discipline, could be a funny story for my kids. They give me so much content. This is also where you'll get the latest news on the podcast or some upcoming freebies I'm working on. Head to my website and sign up to receive the newsletter. Until next time, I'm Noelle C. Guevara, and I'm so grateful to be your host and guide as we navigate the chaos of life together.